Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Richard's uh, still up at the, the coast. I am. Writing the history of .NET. Slowly, slowly, slowly. And drinking scotch, no doubt. Oh, yeah, no. This, I, I got two bottles that make me happy right now. I've got a Dalmore 12. That's the first drink, whiskey, when he's like, hey, I've had a good afternoon. I'll have a little taste of whiskey. And then I've got the the Dewar's 12. Dewar's. Uh, which is a blend, right? It's like Famous yeah. Grouse or anything like that. But right. I've come to really appreciate it as a second scotch. Like, mm. After the after the fancy stuff, then you can go have a little Dewar's and a little more Dewar's. And maybe the Dirty Day wasn't that good, actually. Have a little more Dewar's. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then it doesn't matter anymore. Last Saturday, as we record this, you know, on uh, the 16th of August, last Saturday was my uh, and Kelly's anniversary. And we had an anniversary party. Happy anniversary. Ten years. Ten years of not killing each other. Mm -hmm. We got up to do a little speech. And I said, if there's a theme to our marriage, it's don't wait for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Settle. And everybody laughs. laughs. Well, that's not uh, the rom- most romantic thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I know, right? I, we we just I don't know. I won't go into it, but we we made, we had some fun. Anyway, like the it. reason I brought it up is because uh, Robert, who owns RD eighty six, gave me a bottle of Dalmore twelve for our anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah one of my favorites. Always yep. reliable. Can't go wrong. Well, anyway, you know what's new because you listened to last week's show. So let's get right into better know framework. All the music. All right, man, what do you got? All right, it's kind of a story, but it's got a couple Hmm. of products in it. Um, The story is that I want a a portable um, MiFi thing. Okay. Like this, the Insego, I-N-S-E-E-G-O. The little, just a little brick that has a SIM card in it, and it's yep. Wi-Fi internet, and it's you know? like three hundred bucks, and it's completely unlocked. You're not locked into right. anything because they because they usually come from the carriers, and they are locked. That's right. They usually come from the carriers. This one came with a T-Mobile SIM, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm glad I didn't sign up for T-Mobile because they just got hacked. <laughs> nice, yeah. Everybody, big time. everybody's getting. Hacked. True. Well, anyway, what I wanted was to do some research on 5G networks. Right. Because 5G is the biggest cluster, you know what, that has oh, yeah. ever happened in the history of communications. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Richard, you can talk about this, but essentially- All day long. There's only major cities that have it, and when they have it, the, the speeds are, you know, when you hear up to, yeah, okay. Yeah, there's a whole lot of up to. There's a whole lot of up to. You know, except for that tree- or that window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, I wanted to find out, you know, what was the best network out there. And T-Mobile looks like it has the most coverage. But mm-hmm. I stumbled on Google Fi. Oh, yeah. Now, you guys are nodding your heads, but I didn't know what Google Fi was. But here's what it is. Yes, it's a, you can get a Google Fi SIM. You can get a Google Fi SIM for your phone and a a plan that's pretty affordable that includes data. And you can also, once you've done that, get a data only SIM to go in something like this. And I found that nice. people were having success with it. So I, I went to this fact and I'll give you a link to it because this is episode 1755. If you go to 1755.pwop.me, you'll see Google's uh, fi.google.com, I think. It's get answers to all your Google Fi questions. And I, I, I looked around. Here's what I know. Google Fi isn't like its own network, but what they do is they sub all these other carriers like T-Mobile and Sprint. Right. And um, they basically route you to the nearest one and resell their product. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of an interesting take on wireless because it's not you're not locked into one network but you're also kind of locked in because whatever one is closer that's what you get. So I activated my old Samsung S8 Plus Android phone with uh, the Google Fi SIM which I bought at Best Buy for ten bucks and I got the plan and. Um, Speeds are absolute crap. <laughs> One megabit down. Wow, bummer. And maybe a megabit up. 
And that's just on the phone. But I just found out that Google shipped my data only SIM. And uh, then I can put it in this thing, this MiFi thing, and then drive around and see if it's really worth it or not. I, my, yeah, I guess you'll find out. Yeah, I'll find out. But my, my gut tells me I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, it's hard to know. Depends on what deal, you know, they, they make one way or the other. Uh, Google Fi works in Canada. You just can't buy it in Canada. Yes, it also works in a lot of other countries, including Norway. Mm -hmm. So I'll be, yeah. it'll be interesting to see where, you know, if I can use this in, in Norway as well. When we're there for NDC. The reason that I don't have, um, tethering on my phone is my plan, my data plan. Right. It's an AT&T data plan. It's 40 bucks a month and right. you can't tether. And you can't tether because they chose not to let you tether. That's right. Not just because somehow data is different. If nope. It's tethered. It's because we said so. Because you're only right. paying 45 bucks a month. And, and so we're not going to give you all the features. Neener, neener. Like, uh, who, was, who was it? Uh, what was her name? Lily Tomlin said on Saturday Night Live way back in the day, we're the phone company. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's yeah. what I got, Richard. Awesome. Hey, you want to add anything to the, to the 5G debacle story? No. Other no. than, you know, it's not going to kill anybody. It's not dangerous. You well, know, yeah. None of that. It's a thing. But in, in the bottom line is in order to get more bandwidth out of the phone, uh, out of cell, they increased frequencies even higher into the 20 gigahertz range, which is really cool. But as we know, the higher frequency you go, the less penetrating you have of signal. Right. And so it gets blocked by a lot of things. If you stand in exactly the right location with clear view of that antenna, you'll get some epic speeds. Don't right. move. Right. And don't allow anything to come between you and that antenna. That's why those like 800 hertz or 800 megahertz or whatever uh, signals that AT&T's network use, the waves yeah. are so big, they can go through concrete. Yeah, they can go through anything, right? Yeah. They, but they also don't carry as many much data per right. cycle and they don't, uh, um, they can't handle as many, the, the frequency agility is lower. Like there's always a trade. There's mm. The speed of light's hard to beat. You know, yeah. there's basic rules here <laughs> and then that's what they're up against. So It's not just a good It'll, idea, it's law. Yeah. All right. So well, the what's your reality when you get a five G device is you spend as much time on four G as you do on five, arguably more. But your mileage is gonna vary. That's yep. the reality. Yeah. Um, this we're recording this show while I'm up on the coast and I'm using Starlink, which is I think the real reason that the cell industry moved so quickly to try and push out five G was that they were hugely threatened by a satellite network going up that's really you know significant and uh, and people like Star SpaceX. Yeah. They don't like their ISPs. Yeah. So Starlink is Elon Musk's thing, right? He's yes. got all these so. low orbit satellites all around the yep. world and uh, 1800 of them now. I I didn't know it was available. How did you get it? I got on the beta. I'm one of the first 10,000 because the coast place was they were only putting it in places that were relatively isolated hmm. and also fairly far north because the coverage was better that way, so mm. we fit the criteria. Wow. Um it's geo-locked. I can't take it away. I had oh. to tell them where I was going to use it, and they don't allow me to travel with it. It can travel. It's just a question of coverage. So hmm. they're managing their coverage right now. Um, but apparently, there's like orders for another 100,000 of them. So clearly, people are popular. And it's – listen, it's good. It's not that good, right? It's What's your 400 speed? megabits down and 10 megabits up. That's okay. That's adequate. It's I mean, adequate. That's cable right? mode. You, you know, if you're in a, in a city that's got symmetrical gigabit fiber – Keep it. Yeah. But the reality is people dislike their ISP so much, yeah. they just rather sign up for SpaceX. It's an emotional response, right. not necessarily a technical response. And the real problem, you know, why does it work brilliantly for me? I'm on the ocean. I have a completely clear view of the sky. That's great. This is another, di this is another kind of dish. It just won't go through a tree. Yep. So, you know, if you're in, you're in a little cabin in the woods, but you have electricity, you got to put this antenna on a long mast if you're going to make it work. It's because it's got to have a clear view of the sky or it won't work. Hmm. Well, Joseph is waiting patiently. We'll get to you in mm -hmm. a second. Uh, but first, uh, Richard, who's talking to us today? Uh, I got to comment off of uh, 1751, the show we did with one Sean Wildermuth. We talked a little bit about view. Yeah. Uh, not particularly relevant to this show per se, but I love the comment. It was very funny. Okay. And actually, in that sense, relevant when we're talking about software development. This is from Rob Garner. He said, this was a great show. I found the discussion about View and Blazor very positive without the usual competitive comparisons. And that's a great thing. Hmm. I really enjoyed learning Blazor, especially like the idea of being able to code both the front and the back end in the same language. 
and I re- only recently found out about this. Uh, Brython allows you to code Python in the browser. So that's browser Python, Brython. <laughs> uh, sort of the same way that Blazor allows you to close C sharp in the browser, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as an instructor about to teach Python Flask in addition to Blazor, it's nice to be able to offer my students the ability to learn a C sharp approach, a node with JavaScript front end approach, and now a fully Python front and back end approach. That's really cool. It but is cool. Rob, like, same language, front and back, three different ways. Mm. Uh, with these three courses, I can really get them to compare and contrast the different approaches um, and gain a better understanding of why frameworks are designed the way they are. Once again, a great show and super thought-provoking. And you know, what, what is cool about that set of languages, right, is C-sharp, statically typed, you know, very classic programming environment. Python is dynamic and, you know, a lot less syntax, very, very simple way to go about, uh, you know, certain things. And then you have JavaScript, which is also dynamic, but has its own quirks and approaches to things. So, right. yeah, you really are giving them an array of flavors, yeah, uh, of programming while having that sort of symmetry. So I, I really appreciate that. Very cool. And a copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And by all means, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, but uh, make sure you're not on T-Mobile. Otherwise, we might not get it. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. All right. Well, let's introduce our guest. Joseph Finney is professionally a mechanical engineer, and on the side, he builds productivity apps for Windows. When he's not programming, he is birding with his wife, running, making tasty coffee, and enjoying craft beer and spirits with friends in Milwaukee. Welcome, Joseph. Hello. Yeah. Hello. So, you're here because you wrote something really cool that caught our eye. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. So I, it's not my first app for Windows, but it definitely solves a problem that I have every day, Mm -hmm. maybe every day. So yeah, the app is called TextGrab and Mm -hmm. the problem I'm solving is people sending me email or chat text, but not as text. So that's a screenshot. If I'm asking someone, Hey, can you send me a part number? Can you send me, you know? Can yeah. you show me what you're seeing? Instead of copying the text, they take a screenshot and they email it to me. Yeah. Especially so how- like, you know, big uh, GUIDs and cryptic things that you have to sit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not good. No point. How many times? How many times have I taken a picture of something, you know, stuck on a wall or an inconvenient location and then had to read it carefully and type mm-hmm. something out? Yeah, that's right. Right. Or take a picture of the back of a um, phone or something on a product Mm -hmm. and you have to, and you're like, I'm sitting at a computer. This is a powerful machine. (laughs) Shouldn't it be able to read this text for me? Oh, how about (laughs) car VIN numbers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. And so, this is a little Windows utility that does OCR, but most people probably know that you can, anybody can do OCR. You take the image, you upload it to Google or Bing, and then if you're lucky, you, you kind of go through their UI and you can get it out. And there's mm-hmm. there is a built-in tool in Windows to do it, um, mm-hmm. but it does the same thing. So it takes a screenshot and then it uploads the image to Bing and does a reverse Bing image search. And I reverse search. That was yeah, reverse. It, <laughs> reverse reverse. <laughs> <laughs> and I I just didn't. I didn't like that solution and I decided, you know what? I bet you there's an easier way. Hmm. So I was poking around. I don't even know where I stumbled upon the API, but there is actually a WinRT API. So it's only available to UWP apps. Hmm. And it could do OCR on the device. So you it was a super simple API. You gave it an image and I think a language pack. That's and right. So, what language you want to point it at? Right. And you say, "Give me the text," and it would just spit it back to you. And I was like, "Well, wow. that's the hardest part of this app." And Microsoft has basically handed it to me and said, "All right, the hard part." So, done. is this the OCR results class, part of Windows Media OCR? Yep. 
See, this should be a better know framework for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> you came, right. you're gonna, we're going to spend a whole hour on a better know framework. I love everything about this. Well, yeah. you can call Windows RT APIs from desktop apps. Right. Is that what so you did? Yeah. So that's what TextGrab is. So it is, it uses the um, contracts API or the Windows Microsoft contracts SDK. And uh, that way you can grab the WinRT APIs and put them in a helpful, <laughs> more flexible, more robust um, user interface like WPF. Great. So TextGrab is actually a WPF app. I How I explain it to people is I say there's really, it's really three APIs kind of wrapped up. It mm-hmm. is the screenshotting tool, which is graphics.get pixels from the screen. Super right. simple. Yep. Once you do the DPI dance. So once yeah. you get the image... You select from selecting a region on the screen, then you hand it off to the OCR API. And then that returns string and you put that string in the clipboard and you're done. So that the app is, there's a couple different uh, user experiences for the app and the most minimal, basically you click it, it gives you a white page, kind of like a overlay, Mm -hmm. lets you do a screenshot, uh, select a region, Mm -hmm. you let go. And now that text is in your clipboard. That's great. Right. So you can immediately paste it in whatever document or program or anything that you're that you're working in. Just out of curiosity, how does the built-in Windows tool work from a user, user perspective? So the built-in Windows tool, it's actually built into the start experience. Okay. So you click on start and then there's a little icon. Nope, you do Windows S. Yeah, Windows S is the searching. Oh, yeah. And there's a little screenshot tool down at the bottom that says search with a screenshot. Hmm. And that does a similar thing where it takes a screenshot, but it uploads it to Bing. And it so it will then open a web browser with search results. Oh, I see. And it will try, it'll attempt to do OCR on that. Neat. But then you have to go in there and copy it out of there and paste right, it in your yeah, program. Yeah. You wanted something just quicker. Yep. Well, and do we have to go to the cloud for everything? Like, come on. The app go to the cloud. I don't need to go there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What about people on submarines? You know, what are they going to do? So, TextGrab works offline. There's another thing that I really- I I missed that one. Yeah. It works offline. So, you you said you send it to Bing, though. You send it up to the- Not- I don't think that's how the uh, the Windows API, the OCR API works. Oh. So that one, you just yeah, call the API. It was all on board. And wow. it's all on board. Wow, that's cool. So it is super fast because even with those latencies of up to the cloud, back down, that's going to, if you're doing this quickly or doing a lot of it, mm. it's going to be a pain in the butt, especially if you have some sort of mobile or not necessarily responsive network. Or you're on Starlink, you know. <laughs> T-Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that would ever happen. No. But but it, the bottom line is, like, it's dumb to make round trips when you don't need to make round trips. Like, yeah. come right. on. Right. Be, right. But it, you also mentioned the language pack. Like, you do have to tell it, hey, you're parsing English here, right? Yeah. So, I made an assumption when I made the app that people are going to want to be recognizing the default or not the default, but the selected font. So, or the selected language on there. Selected language when, on the yeah. machine. So, use the, the machine. culture of the machine. Yeah. The selected one. Yeah. So, you can, right. if they have multiple, then it will find whichever one is selected and then it will try to do OCR with yeah. that language. Right. Wow. And that has been maybe the most uh, discussion on the GitHub repo because mm-hmm. this oh, is yeah. a yeah. open source on GitHub. And people are saying, hey, it doesn't do Russian. And I'm like, it does do Russian. How are you using it? And they're like, it's not recognizing it. And I bet you have to set the language on Windows to Russian. Yeah. Do the, and then switch back. And I didn't want to have to have a bunch of dialogue boxes popping up and saying, you know, hey, you know, what's your name? What's your language? Where are you from? I just wanted to. Do as fast yeah, as OCR. You're not as trying possible. to monetize this. You're not trying to sell their information. You don't want any of that stuff. Right. 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 I just want it instant, quick OCR. And actually, one of the really cool things that the API returns, it doesn't just return a string. So it returns an OCR uh, result object. 
which actually has bounding boxes around every single recognized word. So what that means is if you just want to click on a part number or click on a name or a word, just a single word, you don't have to try to do a little region select over that single word. You can just activate text grab. It, you know, the screen goes white and then you click on the word and that's all you need to do. Okay. And it will look and say, look at all the bounding boxes of all the words that we've recognized and find which one's been clicked on. Yeah. And then put that in the clipboard and you're done. Cool. So it's an even quicker, even faster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> clicking and dragging wasn't fast enough. Just clicking. <laughs> just click. Two steps, too many. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, but it's just a, it, it's such a straightforward thing. How, how has the community been around this? I mean, I'm looking at your open issues and yeah, I see someone, you know, complaining about one language and others. I'm always shocked at the level of entitlement in some of these, these issues. Yeah, people, I, so I actually made this over the Christmas holiday, 2019 mm -hmm. into 2020, released it, and people have been pretty interested in, like, a steady interest. I've actually uh, reviewed and accepted a pull request, which was my nice. first for mm. doing that. And that was surprising. Uh, somebody, I think it was just an error, like, going through the languages because the language, not all of the installed languages have the OCR capability. Right. So the pull request iterated through the installed languages and filtered out the ones which could not actually do OCR. Wow. But yeah, people seem to be pretty interested. Uh, and one thing that I've been trying to do is keep the app a little bit more approachable and readable mm -hmm. because with sometimes with a lot of .NET apps that are open source, they're written by seasoned veterans over 40 years and <laughs> they're using, you know, MEF and they're using all these, it's so broken out into, you know, 2000 different files and it's really, really hard to Stupid understand. Stupid old guys. <laughs> well, they're, I mean, they're writing <laughs> software yeah. for enterprises where yeah, it really yeah, needs yeah. to be bulletproof. Well, I would also say, and also have maybe have some old, like if you're still using MEF, like they kind of moved on past that, but you do find folks who got good at a tool mm -hmm. and keep using that tool, mm -hmm. even if it's not a, a, the way you do it from scratch with a fresh skill set. Right. And I'm trying to keep it as simple and approachable as possible because it, at the end of the day, like I said, it really is a simple app. It's yeah, three yeah. APIs. No need to go crazy here. We're not doing anything fancy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you are not a Swiss Army knife. You are a knife. And yet. Right? It is one blade. It does one thing. It does it, it as does few it very strokes well, as yeah. possible. Yeah. And to that point, it is I, one of my, another big pet peeve of mine is whenever somebody has a Windows utility that I like, they basically say, all right, when you install this, it will boot up or it will launch on boot up. And it will sit in your system tray and it will always be running constantly. Oh, I hate that. And there's nothing you can do about it. So, <laughs> TextGrab actually does not live on your system. It does not run. So, what I do is I pin it to my Windows taskbar. Right. Yeah. Uh, to the second position. And then Windows key 2 launches the second pinned app. Immediately pops it up. It launches really quick because, again, super lightweight app. You run it, and then it it puts it in your clipboard, and then it dies. Nothing else to it. And I'm also I also hook into the um, notifications, the Windows 10 notifications API. Sure. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, every time it does a successful recognition, it throws up a toast. So in your notification center, you'll have a list of your history, and you could just click on those, and it'll pop up a little edit, kind of like a Notepad window. Oh, interesting. And you're right back at what you had copied. So, I don't have to paste each one that I've clipped out into a notepad or something. If I've turned the notifications on, I have copies of everything that I've clipped an OCR sitting in notifications. So, I could go do a bunch of these and then go through the notifications to fetch right. them. Also, or in Windows the, key. Yeah, the Windows key. There's a there's a right. multiple clipboard history available mm -hmm. to you in Windows. Yeah. If you've turned it on, of course. Yeah. Right. If you've turned it on. But, but it, it, I appreciate all of that thinking, right? It's like, hey, let's use what's already built into Windows that people may right. already be familiar with 
or not, as the case may be. Yeah, Windows 1 is the first pinned app. Windows 2 is the second pinned uh-huh. app. You know, Windows V is the smart clipboard if you've turned it on. Like, there's all these great features. Like, you've not reinvented the wheel as much as possible here. Now you need and it. I appreciate you not deciding that you need to occupy some of my memory all of the time. You know, the solution is, like Richard and I, get a 49-inch monitor. You have so much... <laughs> Yeah, you have so much more room for pinned. I have uh, this much screen space. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even halfway across my monitor with pinned items, and I feel like I've got all the room in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's uh, YWPF. I guess the alternative was WinForms, and that's insane. Uh, YWPF because screenshotting. Yeah. So the yeah. screenshot uh, is basically a when you launch the app, it opens a window that has enabled transparency. It makes it full screen. The top uh, menu bar is hidden, and then you basically, it's just a rectangle. So, the hardest part about that was getting all the DPI settings because going through, this is pre-project reunion. Well, it's, uh, yeah, maybe the the predecessor to project reunion. Right. So, turning off DPI awareness in the packaged app and then turning it on different places and properly multiplying by the multiple monitor. Um, so really you're just trying to find the coordinates. Right. Yeah. Which and- that was one of the things that was surprisingly difficult to do. Was, and I did if, have users. Yeah. So if people have enlarged, you know, experiences, they can set, you know, so that everything's bigger. Um, well, everything is different. Every monitor is yeah. different. Yeah, for that, yeah, that's where you works on your monitors. Who knows uh-huh. what does on everybody else's? People have high DPI displays. People have you know gigantic forty three inch hundred DPI four K displays. Like it uh-huh. depends. Uh-huh. And it, well, even on a single machine, you'll have a gigantic high DPI display and mm-hmm. a ten eighty p display hooked up at the same time. Right. So when TextGrab runs, it has to open a window on every independent monitor. And look at the display scaling of each monitor. It's <laughs> that took a while to figure out mm-hmm. why are some people having issues with it? Like, because the the region did not match what they selected, right? And it's they had different display scalings per monitor and different resolutions. Yeah, and that was just kind of a headache. But you fix it once and you're done. <laughs> Hopefully, no, I love it. And it's it, it, but it's interesting the learnings you picked up along the way here of, oh, I have to deal with multiple monitors at different scaling levels, at different resolutions. Like all of those are part of the problem. Understanding the language packs in the OCR capabilities, like what what can we do, what can't we do here, and what's the best way to map it up. Like Because it sounded so simple when you started, Joe. <laughs> it's like, right. I take a screen grab, I do OCR, it's in the clipboard. Thanks for playing. Right. <laughs> And each one of those has their own. No. And they all have their own, like, holdovers from legacy and the new way of, oh, Microsoft wants you to do it this way. But actually, this is a WPF app and not a UWP app. And so there's a bunch of hoops and kind of awkward turns and twists that had to be made. But at the end of the day, it could be a little awkward, but as long as it worked and as long as it sped up my workflows. Because this is a tool I made for myself, a problem mm-hmm. that I solved. So In the end, yeah. I, yeah, so I use it all the time and I've shared it with some of my coworkers and they're like, oh yeah, just makes sense. Like they don't under have any idea how it's working. They don't understand what's going on, but it helps them whenever they get those emails of images of text. <laughs> right. They can just copy they just, it right and away. They, and they just use it, which is awesome. And you have had some contributors. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, hold that thought for just a minute while we take a moment for this brief but very important message. Hey, this is Carl Franklin, and these are my friends, Patrick Hines. Hey, Carl. And Dwayne LaFlotte. Hello, hello. And uh, together we started a new podcast. I know. Can you believe it? This one's called Security This Week, and you can find it at securitythisweek.com. I'm pretty much the idiot in the room. (laughs) <laughs> so not true. And these guys are the experts in security. And what we try to do is figure out these security topics through the lens of current events. So yeah, every week we're going to talk about things that happened this week, the insecurity breaches and whatnot, and uh, maybe geopolitical circumstances, whatever. 
And then we're going to use that as a springboard to dive into security topics. Right, guys? Absolutely. Yes, sir. So what are some of the things we've talked about? We've talked about threats, threats, yeah. mitigation, I, ransomware. A lot, a lot of the, a lot of the latest attacks, and and one of the things I'm enjoying about this is um, not super deep diving, but distilling it down into what matters, which is right. which is always good. So, who is the audience for this podcast, Pat? I think it could be various people. I think it's anybody who needs to keep up to date on what's going on in security. I think it's people who want to make sure they don't miss anything in in the types of threats that are emerging and the things that they can do to prevent them. I think it's also for people who want to get into security because we'll talk about a lot of things you'll describe. If we get into jargon, you you are very good at making sure we explain it. Yeah, I'm the acronym police. <laughs> <laughs> anybody anybody who's going to a security cocktail party. Right. Uh, and wants and to be able to talk at that level. Agreed. <laughs> and is- if you own a business and you want to keep the money that you make and not give it away to hackers and for ransomware and all that stuff, this is a, it's a pretty good way to get interested in the uh, topic. Yeah, we're definitely on the side of the angels here. We're trying hard to give people the information that'll help them keep safe. Right. Although Patrick had to become a bad guy to be a good guy. it's kind of a running joke anyway go to securitythisweek.com you can listen to episodes there or just pick us up on any place you get podcasts all right we're back i'm carl franklin that's my friend richard campbell howdy and that's our new friend joseph finney hello who's talking about TextGrab, his app a winrt ocr api toten wpf app and that kind of brings me to the next question, which is, how do we get all these disparate Windows uh, technologies talking to each other? Like, last time I knew, WinRT was like a sandbox, and you couldn't access WinRT APIs from anything but a you know universal application or WinRT application. And uh, I, I have noticed lately that, you know, there's there's ways that we can go through the hoops to access these things. But what did you, what did you learn about uh, that cross? I can not even cross platform. I guess it is cross platform, cross platform within the realm of windows um, mm-hmm. access. Cross framework, cross, cross framework. I don't That's know. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a mess when you're just one guy trying to figure out how it all works. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is, if you you cannot just generate a raw exe and or you cannot build a release target into a raw exe and then distribute that mm. the winrt apis do not work so it has to be packaged in an msix package to be distributed mm. so the way that i'm distributing it is in the uh, microsoft store so that's where I'm selling it for a couple bucks mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make my time. I tell myself this is making it worth it. Um, <laughs> so one, that's kind of the how to distribute because if you don't do that, if you just pass around this exe because it is a WPF app, so it does generate a exe when you're developing. Yeah. If you're in debug mode, it can be passed around. So this is one of those confusing, I don't know, mm. like... Doesn't make a lot of sense. De- yeah, I don't know why it's happening. So basically, if you pull down the repo and open the WPF project, anybody can just build and run using VS Code. Right. So if you have the .NET Core 3.1 SDK installed, you could build and run, and it works fine but you cannot run the package app from VS Code because Microsoft did not build support there. So then you have to go into Visual Studio, at least 2019, to do that. And that works fine, but there's no signing capability. So you would have to get your own... Uh, yeah, you would have to do your own certificate to sign the package if you wanted to build it yourself and distribute it. So that's the other mess. If you want to have a packaged up released app that can be installed on different machines you have to do it yourself with your own certificate and i was not going to do that so i just uploaded it to the store and now anybody can just download it from the store and microsoft will actually sign 
the packages for you in the store. Nice. What was the what was the experience of publishing to the store like? It's it's not that hard. It's but the dashboard, I think it's called the Partner Center, is kind of a mess. Mm. It is free, unless I think there's always a banner at the top that says, "Oh, we're sorry. There's some data that's you know some service that's down." <laughs> so there's always some part of it that's broken, and the data reporting is not correct. Mm. But at the end of the day, what I'm concerned with is, can I make a new submission? Can I upload the package and then just push it out? And usually that's really reliable. Sometimes it takes 24 hours. Sometimes it takes a couple days. Mm. But that part's pretty reliable. And it's nice because I don't have to have it signed. I don't have to sign it. I don't have to upload it to my website. I don't have right. to manage uh, user problems as far as installs and problems they're having with that. It's kind of out of my hands at that point. Now, I mean, my experience poking around on the on the uh, Microsoft Store is that they want UWP apps. So you nominally UWP when you publish that way. Yeah, this is the whole uh, <laughs> confusing thing when people say you you know UWP is dead. What is UWP? Right. It's I think the term is it's a packaged app. Right. And so that means you have to get certain permissions. And this is another frustration with the whole process, which is if I was accessing, say, the camera or uh, the contacts or something through the WinRT APIs, a dialog box would pop up and it would say, hey, do you want to let this app have access to your camera or whatever? Right. But I think it's because I'm doing a WPF packaged app, It's it runs as a full trust app. So if you download and install this, it's basically like running a program. It can do theoretically anything. Yeah. It's not really got a manifest per se. It's like, I have the rights of the user that's running this app. Right. Right. And I think that's because I'm doing with the, I'm making a WPF app and doing the screen capture and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff just isn't possible with UWP. And they did not make more fine grained uh, controls such as allowing, hey, do you want to let this app take screenshots? Hey, do you want to let this app um, access your notifications? All of those kind of privacy permissions are not checkboxes. They're not granularized. Right. So you, it's like, if you want this to work, it must be full trust because right. I, can't, I can't ask for the specific rights I need to do this. Mm -hmm. And there, are, I know there are a couple of UWP apps that are like that, mm -hmm. uh, like Files. I don't know if you've heard of Files. It's a UWP based file explorer so you oh, wow. hmm. you you know if you're making a file explorer you got to have full trust um but again for obvious reasons yeah it's just this weird balance of microsoft wanted to believe if you get the app from the microsoft store it can do no wrong it cannot abuse the it, system right because the store is safe <laughs> yeah i think that's what they that was the intent okay i have a really I just just now had a really, really dumb experience, and it, I wasn't the dumb one. So, I actually went to the website. I Google Bing text grab. I found it at Microsoft.com. I clicked buy, and then it said, which machine do you want to install it on? And it gave me an option of one machine. And it looked like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that's the name of my machine. So, I selected that. After I selected it, I noticed that there was a scroll bar there, but only after I accessed it, and there were more options. But it showed me this great big, you know, machine uh -huh. name, and that's it. I only had room in the list for the top one. So, then I went to install it, and I got an error. No, you can't install it. You didn't. <laughs> you said you wanted to put it on this machine, not that machine. Really? That is so f***ing dumb. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft and app stores, they just, it's a complicated, rocky present. So, congratulations. I just gave you $2.99 for an app that I can now not use. Well, the question is, what machine did you install I, it on? One that's not in my office, apparently. Well, you don't know that. You know, I, it might be around there somewhere and it's now got text grab on it. Like it's somewhere. No, so it doesn't. It doesn't have, it wouldn't. I would have if to install it. If you bought it in the store, 
Mm. You can download it on 10 machines. I know you can. Okay. We're going to try again. Install on my yeah. device. So okay, look, this, I think I gotta, it sounds I like you're using you a screenshot of this. This is are so you using awesome. The, uh, web experience or the Microsoft Store? The web experience. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that might be your problem. App. The web experience. Okay, does now not. okay, this is awesome. The scroll bar doesn't do anything. There is only one option where I can install it, and it's not my machine. How is that possible? I don't know. Well, it's got a, clearly he's logged into some tenant account at Microsoft. And that's the mm. scary part because we all have tenantitis, right? Like we have too many tenants. Yeah. And it has a list of machines that are access that a tenant. And so it's really trying to help you. It's fucking, fucking, fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but you do bring up a good point. And I think the point also that I see all the time at work is people are at the mercy of Windows and their IT department. Yep. Yeah. And those two things are just absolutely chaotic and the times that they line up are rare. And so, a, a big audience for this app, I like to think it's kind of information workers, people who just sit mm -hmm. at their desk all day. They get PDFs, they have to go through websites, they're just constantly scrolling and managing data, inputting it, cleaning it, manipulating it, and their IT department will never let them have this app. They well, will. It's a full trust app. Hmm. Well, they don't even know what that means probably. They just say, nope, I have these three apps that I install on your system and you're mm -hmm. not even, you're running in a VM of a, you know, so it's a super complicated, convoluted IT world that we live in. But one nice thing about TextGrab is if you, let's say you are working through a VPN on your personal computer, if you install TextGrab, it will just take a screenshot. So if you're working in a remote desktop session or if you're running wherever right. you're running, if you can see it on the screen in a video, in a picture, during a Teams call, anything, you can grab the text out of it. So I kind of wanted to make an app that empowered people to use their own devices to kind of take advantage of the power of their computer. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's working. Trying. Uh, Trying. It's not working it, on absolutely. my machine. It's not letting me install. It's really, really, uh, really annoying. But I own the app. You own this app. Do you now? You believe you do, yeah. but do you really? Do you, you say really? you do. Yeah. But do you really know what you mean? So I, I had, after having heard Carl's experience, I had to buy it also. So you're making sales today, Joe. Did it work? <laughs> it, and it's an incredibly useful app. Like, all that's good. So first thing that happened to me was when, hey, you're in Canada. After I clicked buy, <laughs> mm -hmm. then it said, hey, you're in Canada. Should we go to the Canada store? Okay, let's go to the <laughs> <Whatever>. Canada store. <laughs> And then, it, and then it and then it said uh, you have multiple addresses and then showed me the same address three times. That's awesome. <laughs> All of this comes back to you've hung around Microsoft too long, mm -hmm. right? And there's these many accounts that are trying to be coordinated. Like identity is hard. And then it did show my credit card has expired because it was. And then you know we're we're working our way through. I would say at this point I still I am still doing the web experience because clearly I'm an idiot. <laughs> and uh, and we're we're waiting to see. I want to see my list of machines because you think about me as a hardware builder. Just how many machines this might be? Like that's what's got me inspired. Okay, so I, I want to just clarify that that list of machines showed up in the app in the Windows app, the Microsoft Store Windows app, not in the web experience. So the web experience after you've bought it brings you to the Microsoft Store app, and that's where you get to select your your Windows uh, hmm. machine. And my the machine I'm running it on isn't in the list. Nice. I don't even know how that could be possible. I Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> All right. So I've now gotten to the device list, and I do name my machines. <laughs> so I have uh, a couple of I have my Hololens listed, mm -hmm. and two machines, two workstations, but not the machine I'm actually on. That's there you go. 
How it's just that- as dumb in Canada as it is in the United oh, States. Oh, no, it's, it's worse because some of my gear is going to be registered in the U.S. and some of my gear is going to be registered in Canada because sometimes you remember to check set country stuff and sometimes you don't, right? Like, you, this has got nothing to do with your software, Joe. No. This has got everything to do with how hard it is to manage identity, devices, transactions, Multiple countries. Or from the consumer point of view, how the Microsoft Store app doesn't work. Yeah. You know, or or it's trying to help you in making things harder. Like, all of this is brilliant if you've just set up the account for the first time on a machine. (laughs) But with any legacy at all, multiple accounts, multiple computers over time. So, Joe. What do you bet that machine you specified is a computer from 10 years ago? Joe, you just uh, uh, pasted a, a, a gift card card or code which is expired and cannot be redeemed <laughs> i was afraid that would happen i need to i have a couple uh, <laughs> we're gonna change the title of this show <laughs> yes this is so even that stuff even generating codes microsoft says oh you want to generate some free codes all right download a tsv what's a tsv a tab separated values spreadsheet that does not open naturally in excel and when you do open it in excel it warns you and says hey this is you know not a format you want to use this is (laughs) this is a lesson in anti-patterns right here absolutely but i think this show could be a great case study for why was the microsoft store not wildly successful i i wonder if anybody has purchased your app now i'm beginning to wonder myself in theory, you've received money. Uh, yeah. Oh, you can always receive money, but has anybody installed it? Right. Yeah. No, I, it does say that I have users. So, like I said, that data is usually hmm. messed up and frequently incorrect. Hmm. Oh, seven ten, it expired. Just by Close, a month. Just missed. Uh, All right. I have failed to purchase your app. I can't get the device that I'm on to uh to to allow it to be installed and i think it's a you know what it is if i think if i went directly to the store that path did not work out Uh, so i I find this fascinating it is but it's like for for a creator who's made something so valuable the how frustrating it is to get it to people yep and like i was mentioning earlier if i wanted to package this as a single downloadable package that you purchase from my website, downloaded and installed, I would have to go out of my way to buy a certificate and self-sign yep. my apps. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this these are all this is all friction from friction, a yeah. cost yeah. point of view and from a technical point of view, because now I'm signing my apps. Now I have to have two different kinds of apps. I have you know one that I generate for the Microsoft store, one that I generate for my website. And this is just headache. And this is just right. kind of the frustrating example of Microsoft, I think, wants to believe that a lot of their users are just very simple, straightforward users. But I think yes. a lot of people who really use their Windows computers have dozens of computers, mm. do yes. weird stuff, mm. have more than one Microsoft account, you know, use remoting, do all this weird stuff, and they just pretend that that weird stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. But it does. Well, and, and let's face it. Carl and I are not regular users. We've had many more computers and also many identities yeah, at Microsoft. Right. So I have now gave up on that process, backed out, started up the store on this machine, which now, and, and it then automatically recognized me on a totally different account than what the browser recognized me on, offered to sell it to me, and is now downloading. So yeah, I don't know how regular mortals pull this off, Joe. Like, I don't, you know, the good news is regular mortals may not need text grab. Like, this is still a certain class of power user that'll have some shot at this. But again, a regular human with only one account at micro in Microsoft, they're probably not going to have the kind of problems we have. Yes and no, but I mean, I, I mean, I work in an office every day, and the way that yes. I see people use computers is yeah. just soul crushing i mean people who don't use scroll wheels people who click on the little you know uh what are they called the anchors at the top and bottom of scroll bars Mm. because that's the way they do it and people yeah and they just do it the slow way all day but their whole job their entire job is in front of a computer using windows using office and 
this experience that we're all talking about right now is not mm-hmm. uncommon for those people. No. And you are on the, if you are available, you're going to be on the front line for this. You're going to get these calls. Oh, this is great. So when I got the error, which by the way, just says error, there's a C nice. details button. And this is in the Microsoft Store app. It says to install your app or game, remove a device from your account. 10 of your devices have apps and games from store already installed on them. That's the limit. Go to store, settings, manage your devices, then remove a new device to make room for this new one. So, (laughs) this is so awesome. awesome. Like, uh, no app for you because you have 10 or more computers. Well, and in your lifetime, yeah. right? Like, right. Clearly, All right. So I'm going to remove a device. That exist. That's awesome. I'm going to do you this. Know, you could go. You could have more identities. That way, you could have ten devices per identity because that wouldn't cause you any problems at all. I'm, I'm installed, by the way. I am now using TextGraph. So okay. I'm removing. Yay! And you got my three dollars and eighty nine cents Canadian. Well, less whatever Microsoft takes. From exactly. Yeah. And and the conversion and and and. I am now unlinking. A device that I had in 2015 that it still remembers. <laughs> it's an it's an HP Spectre convertible 13. It might have been. Oh, we got that given to us at, at build. build yeah, yeah. I remember that device. Yeah, I gave that to my to my assistant, and she wore it out, which I don't have a problem with. Like you use a machine till it fails, that's success, right? I had to get her a new one, but she loved it at the time. Right, so I'm going to try again, acquiring license. That's how we're going to end the show, Joe, with both of us having installed the app, because that's how good the app is. I like everything. Oh, yeah, error. I still have an error. If you have any issues, go to to GitHub, file them. (laughs) File them there, yes. Well, I'll make all complaints about uh, Canadian language issues for you. No, I'm going to unlink everything except the desktops that I have. Here's guest two from a Surface. (laughs) Is is it a tour in history for you, Carl? All the I remember that. Machine. Oh, my Hololens right. is in here. Yeah, yeah. I found my Hololens. Here's a virtual machine. I wonder how TextGrab works on a Hololens. I was wondering that. I don't know. <laughs> that would be some fun. We could t- do some testing with gestures. Can I draw a box with my finger and have the text converted for me? Yeah, that would be. There are notifications in the Hololens, so it might work. You're going to have to test it. <laughs> Let me know how it works. Hey, I'm yeah. downloading TextGrab. Ta-da. I just had to move three go. or four machines from my list. The product <laughs> is installed. Launch. Welcome to TextGrab. It looks great. Awesome. Well. <laughs> I like the icon, too. It looks vaguely WordPress-ish. WordPress? The, the, that, that pale sort of tealy background and then the Times New Roman. Yeah. Instead of. But it says T instead of WP. Right. Well, I'm glad I got it to work. And and I'm sorry for your users that have to go through that. Um, but, you know, it, this is a, a good example of uh, real-time .NET rocks coming to the rescue. Well, and, and talking the whole experience. Right. You know, it's one thing to make a great app. Yeah. And we could all go get it from GitHub and build it ourselves if we wanted to use it on our machines. Mm-hmm. It's not about the money. It's just the, uh, the leverage. Heck, I'd probably be better off PayPaling you two bucks off of GitHub anyway. <laughs> uh, but then to go through the store experience, yeah. is, I really appreciate this. That they, they, you know, that you make something people find useful, you put it in a place so it's quote, I'm doing air quotes on a talk show, mm-hmm. you know, easy to install, easy to acquire. Right. And then you run into all of these issues you have no control over. Well, in our last few minutes, let's talk about the Ink Calendar app. And the Windows caffeinated app. Yeah. So, Ink Calendar was actually maybe my first real concerted effort to make an app for Windows. And it is, I had a touchscreen laptop and I realized I should be able to just mark up a calendar Mm -hmm. on Windows. It seems Mm -hmm. like those two things would be obvious, but there was no app in the store that did it. Mm -hmm. So, I made an app to do it. And eventually, I used the Appointments Manager API to pull in the appointments when people have their accounts connected, mm-hmm. which means I didn't have to go through and build authentication for Google and Yahoo nice. and Hotmail. So, 
I can basically just ask the user, hey, can I have access to your connected accounts? And they say yes, and boom, all of their calendar appointments from all their different accounts get pulled right in. That's nice. And that's a WinRT API as well? That's, yep, WinRT API, super easy to use. Um, I have discovered some issues with it, some bugs uh, in some certain corners. I I believe that I'm one of the only people in the world <laughs> that uses this API this way. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's a fun app and I use it on my Surface all the time. Uh, Windows Caffeinated is another little utility app. It's actually a WinForms app. Wow. Yeah, from probably over 10 years old now. It's, I did not start the repository, but what I did is I took one that I found on GitHub and I asked the creator if he would mind if I took it, modernized it, packaged it up and put it in the store. Mm. And he said, go for wow, it. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And so that uh, WinRT API is the startup on login API. So there's a modern way to hook into the startup functionality mm -hmm. which goes through task manager and if in the windows 10 settings app there's a way to uh i think it's called view startup apps mm -hmm. so right. it's a packaged app that launches when you log in and what the app does is it puts a little icon in the tray and when you click it your computer does not go to sleep and when you click it it allows it to go to sleep i like so, that <laughs> very simple there's basically nothing to it yeah, and it's nothing that you can't do with the, you know, what happens when I close the lid, what happens, you know, the power settings. But Yeah, except that sometimes that doesn't work right. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, how many times have I set power settings to high performers never sleep and then come back and the machine's asleep? Yep. It's right. Like, Didn't I tell you? Mm -hmm. I have the weird problem here with this DisplayPort 49-inch thing that um, if I, you know, even if I do a windows l and log you know sort of lock the screen i expect that i can come back shake the mouse and the screen will pop back up but lately it's been and i don't know what changed but it's been not doing anything it's been trying to wake up and then going back to sleep again trying to wake I'm a little up too tired. so i actually have to press the the button the monitor button to get it to come back to wake the monitor up make the so monitor you have to turn up. it off and turn it back on Pretty or you much, just turn yeah. it on I just click, hmm. click, and it comes back on. Oh, well. Technology. Technology. I think I'm going to download that app too. Hey, now that I can, right? Yeah. And that's that one's totally free, open source. Mm. And that's actually going to be, that's going to be my first learning experience for modernizing a WinForms app into a Windows SDK app yeah. and using WinUI right. 3. Because when that, when the settings menu pops up, you're like, oh, yeah. This is WinForms. I remember this. Yeah. It shows. Well, Joe, I really appreciate what you did here because you're you're showing people that you can just peruse GitHub or some other repository repository and find uh, a, something that has been neglected and needs modernizing. And, hey, man, give yourself some practice. Just ask if you can mm -hmm. do what you did. And yeah, that, that's really smart. That's a really smart way to cut your teeth on things. Yeah, and it's an interesting way to learn old tools that are practical and have a specific use case that, you know, you want solved. Right. So, it was definitely good learning, and at the end, I didn't just have a fake tutorial. Right. I had a real tool. Yeah. Yeah, that helps you and helps others, which mm -hmm. is cool. It is cool. Well, thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure talking yeah, to you. Yeah, thanks for having really me fun. on. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. 
And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.